Okay, good morning everybody. Many of you may have seen the uh, viral video, I guess you can call it, of Moreno Agon of Shlita eating a roasted locust. How do I know it's roasted? Because he asked beforehand, is it uh, roasted? And people have been confused by this. Is that really kosher? Does Rav Shechter keep kosher? The answer is, of course, Rav Shechter keeps kosher. But we have to figure out, like, what is the sugya over here? Why is this upsetting people? And why is it uh, maybe kosher? And why do some people think that it's somewhat problematic? He mentions in the video that it's also not his first time eating one. He said the last time it was fried in oil and it tasted much better, if you, uh, if you recall in the video. And uh, that's especially confusing for a lot of people, since Rav Shechter has some very significant chumras when it comes to kashras, including, most uh, notably for this kind context, not eating turkey, because he believes that we don't have a strong enough mesora that a turkey is kosher. So somehow, we don't have a strong enough mesora that a turkey is kosher, but we do have a strong enough mesora that a locust is kosher? So how could that be? Why would a locust be any better than a turkey? Agav, he also taught us a different halacha, that if you say a bracha and you drop the item on the floor, you should retrieve it, rather than taking another item from the uh, from the container, because that's what you said the bracha, and that item that was uh, that was in your hand. So that he taught us a halacha in Hilchus brachos along the way. Uh, just a fair warning, this 10-minute halacha shir may be a lot more than 10 minutes, but uh, we're going we're gonna to try to go through this topic uh, properly. So the uh, grasshoppers are the only uh, invertebrates listed in the Torah as being kosher. The Torah in Parsha Shmini tells us, Kol sheretz ha'ov ha'olech al-arba sheketzu lachem, ach ezet tochlu mikol sheretz ha'ov ha'olech al-arba asher lo kra'ayim imal l'raglov al-lenatabeh al aretz es eile mehem tochlu. The following are that you're allowed to eat of the sheretz ha'ov, es ha'arbe l'mino, es ha'slom l'minehu, es ha'chargo l'minehu, es ha'chagov l'minehu. So there are four particular types of shratze ha'ov that are identified by the Torah that you're allowed to eat. But other sharetz ha'ov you're not allowed to eat. So eating grasshoppers, l'chora, uh, if it is kosher, if it's one of the items on the list over here, is actually very easy. It's much easier than eating other things. Uh, when you eat animals, you eat birds, you need shechita. There's no shechita required for grasshoppers, no malicha that's required. There's even a machlokas as to whether they have to be killed before you eat them, but uh, that's very easy to do, and certainly uh, we do kill them before, one would kill them before uh, eating them. You just freeze them and they die, and they're not uh, fleshigs. It's uh, the basar, basar shratim is not considered to be basar, even midrabanan. It's pariv, it's like fish in that regard. And uh, the only thing is, when we see something like that, so most people find eating bugs to be something that is disgusting, some type of uh, baltashaktu. However, it seems uh, that uh, one of the uh, one of the big movements now to uh, fight against world hunger is that maybe people should rethink uh, eating uh, eating grasshoppers. They are an excellent source of protein, apparently, and other vitamins, and they're much more readily available and leave much less of a uh, of 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 of, of, a, um, of a problem in terms of uh, uh, in, they're much more environmentally friendly, I guess you can say, than uh, than other types of uh, of foods. So the question is. Uh, is this one of the, whatever he was eating, is this one of the kosher minim that are mentioned in the Torah? The Torah mentions specifically four kosher minim. So the Torah says four, but then it adds the word luminehu after each one, which the Gemara assumes to mean that there are really eight, that it's four plus an additional four. But it's very difficult to translate words in the Torah and then specifically identify a particular animal with what the word in the Torah is. But, um, Rabbi, uh, all my Makaras are even 
either from Shulchan Aruch, you know, just from studying the Sugya, or from a long article on the, uh, on this topic by Rabbi Natan Slifkin, uh, whose uh, whose museum produced the grasshoppers that were shachtarit. So, uh, so he has uh, he has he has what to say about this uh, in terms of the mitzvah. So, consider the following. He writes: Although there are over ten thousand species of grasshoppers. Only a few dozen are locusts, meaning grasshoppers that form swarms. That's what a locust is. That's why locust is a plague in uh, in Mitzrayim because they swarm sometimes in the, sometimes in the billions. They, com- they they completely take over an area, sometimes a huge area of hundreds of miles. They'll uh, they'll take over at a certain time. And of the few dozen species of locusts, only four can be found in biblical lands, meaning in the Middle East. And of those four, by far the most common of the swarming locusts is the desert locust, uh, which has a technical name that uh, appears in swarms, sometimes in Egypt, sometimes in Israel, even today, every once in a while, right around Pesach time, you'll see like something similar to Makos happening in, uh, in Mitzrayim, and people will send it around. That, that also t- tends to get sent around on WhatsApp and whatever. That look, oh, look, there's a locust swarm, and it's Pesach tomorrow. So, uh, so that's something that's not so uh, uh, unusual. And then the next uh, most common one is the migratory locust. Um, while the Egyptian locust and the Moroccan locust are third and fourth in terms of most common. So it would seem clear that the grasshoppers being described in the Torah uh, would seem to be the desert locust and or the migratory, probably and the migratory locust. Uh, but that, that, that is what it seems to be. However, it's very, very difficult to know for sure, you know, that that's what the Torah is identifying. It, it is also important to realize that if you were to ask a scientist how many different minimum of locusts there are, they may tell you there are dozens and there are hundreds because they look at every minor difference as something that's a different min. In halacha, we typically don't do that. If two things are pretty much the same thing, then they're pretty much the same thing. They would have to have a little bit more of a, of a difference between them uh, if they're virtually identical then, uh, then halacha normally considers them identical. But none of this matters la halacha until we're able to see what, what it takes in halacha in order to be able to identify a locust. So the Torah lists them by name, but the Mishnah doesn't list by name. The Mishnah gives signs by which you can identify the locust. The Mishnah tells us in the third parak of Meseches Chulin, Ubechagavim, it has to have four legs, and four wings, the kavalim, and it has to have kavalim, and it needs the wings to cover the majority of its body. Rabbiosi Omer and Rabbiosi has another quality, Ushmo Chagav, and it needs to be called a Chagav also. Its name has to be Chagav. So it's got to have Four wings, it's got a, four legs, four wings. Kvalim are jumping legs, legs with which it jumps, and its wings have to cover most of its body. And Rabbi Yossi says it needs to be called a Chagav as well. The Mishnah doesn't specify any particular names or types. It just gives these physical characteristics. Now, those characteristics are fulfilled by many, many, many different types of, uh, of grasshoppers and all locusts. Uh, Rabbi Yossi's addition that it has to be called a Chagav, a chagav means that it has to be identified as a locust and not, let's say, for example, a cricket. 
and uh, th- th- therefore it would rule out a number of other grasshoppers as well that are not locusts. It has to be uh, something that could be identified as a locust. So it, uh, Rabbi Yossi's addition is, uh, is a machlux rishonim, whether we paschal like Rabbi Yossi, but the rov rishonim assume that yes, that we do indeed paschal like Rabbi Yossi, that shmo chagav is an important qualification. So now the question becomes, okay, so if I find something that meets all of the Mishnah's criteria, it has four legs, got four wings, got jumping legs, and... It's called the Chagav. So do I need anything else? Is, there, is, there, is it necessary to have a Mesorah in order to, uh, to say that a locust is kosher? So maybe Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi is referring to there being some particular Mesorah about a locust's identity, maybe, meaning maybe that's what he means when he says a Shmo Chagav, that it has to be the Chagav that you have a Mesorah about. So there are those who, uh, who interpret it that way, certainly. The Torah says that explicitly, and that's why uh, many uh, hold, and we'll get to what we say in Shulchan Aruch, that you talk do need a Mesora when it comes to a locust. In Beit Yosef, Rav Yosef Cairo explains Rav Yosef is requiring a Mesora that it's called a Chagav, but in Shulchan Aruch, if you look in Shulchan Aruch, in Yerdea, Simon Pehei, which it's, it's just uh, one little paragraph in Shulchan Aruch, it's like four lines of Shulchan Aruch about a locust, the Shulchan Aruch writes, V'yafal pishiyeshpo even if it has all of these simanim, Shulchan Aruch recorded all the simanim that are mentioned in the Mishnah, even if it has all of these simanim, it's only mutter if its name is Chagav. Or there's a Mesorah that, that it is a Chagav. So he seems to be giving options. There either needs to be a Mesorah that it's called Chagav, or just the fact that everybody calls it a Chagav. So that seems to be enough. So uh, like, just like with mammals or fish, uh, all that's required is that the, it fulfills all of the requirements. One of those requirements just happens to be that it's Shmo Chagav. That's certainly the impression that you get from the, uh, from, from, from the Mishnah. Now, do we have, from, from the Shulchan Aruch, now, do we have, so again, two days whether you need a Mesorah or not, Shulchan Aruch seems to be saying either a Mesorah or Shmo Chagav is good enough. Now, let's assume for a moment you need a Mesorah. Is there a Mesora? So uh, the, 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 the Yemenites, uh, the Temanim, do have a Mesora. Rav Yosef Kapach, famous for his Rambam, writes that the Jews of Yemen, uh, and this is again from Rabbi Slifkin's article, the Jews of Yemen uh, would collect locusts and eat them, but not all of them, only the certain known types that they possessed the tradition from their ancestors, person to person that they were kosher, and there were also known types which the tradition from their ancestors was that they were non-kosher, even though they possessed all the signs of being kosher that are explained in the Torah and the Halacha. So in Halichot Teiman, of Kapach writes that there are certain uh, locusts that met all the criteria in the Mishnah, but they had a tradition in Yemen that they don't eat those. And then there are others that they had a tradition that they do eat. They had a Masorah that they eat it. So what would be the opposition? Meaning, if it's a Machlokas, whether you need a Masorah to begin with, and all you need is a Shmo Chagav, perhaps, and even if you need a Mesorah, there is a Mesorah. There's a Mesorah among the Yemenite Jews. So what would be the problem? So Reb Chaim Ibn Attar of Morocco uh, was very opposed to eating locusts, and he uh, points out the primary objection that he had was that uh, Rashi describes a locust and, uh, that is kosher, and this is very problematic. Rashi writes, the Mishnah says, like we said before, so what is v'katsulim? So Rashi says, uh, two long legs aside from the four and they're close to the animal's neck 
above the legs. So that it could catapult itself when it wants to jump. Problem is, that Rashi is describing these jumping legs to be right near the neck. The locusts that they eat in uh, the Temanim eat, and uh, certain uh, Jewish communities eat, their leaping legs are further away from their necks uh, than, than their four walking legs are. Uh, they're all the way further away from the necks. And it's for that reason that Reb Chaim Ibn Attar insisted that the locusts claim to be kosher cannot be kosher because it is against an ofna Rashi. It's against an explicit Rashi where Rashi says that it's, uh, that it's by, by the neck. So... Um, the, uh, the, the, he, he does say that some respond that there's no locust that matches that description, and therefore he says, okay, there's no locust that matches that description, it must be we haven't found it yet. But the Torah was describing something, Rashi was describing something, so if you haven't found it, you haven't found it. Now Rabbi Slifkin says, what are the chances we haven't found it? We've identified thousands of different species, we have signed it, meaning it's one thing to say that in the 19th century, but to say that now is very hard to imagine. But, you know, uh, I don't know, if, uh, if, if it doesn't meet the criteria, then it doesn't it doesn't meet the uh, the criteria. Zoologists have described over eleven thousand species of grasshoppers and locusts. They all share the same basic uh, um, body uh, shape and body uh, makeup, and the long jumping legs are always the hindmost legs. They're never closest to the neck. So it's very difficult to imagine that we're ever going to find the locust that all of a sudden has jumping legs that are closer to, uh, to the neck. Um, there are only four species of locusts in that part of the world also, and, and the Torah identifies four species of locusts, and, uh, and they all have their jumping legs in the same place. So what do we do with, uh, with Rashi? So first of all, Rashi's description doesn't appear in any of the other Rishonim. So it could be that it doesn't fit Rashi, but may that we paskin like Rashi. In fact, we have to look in Shulchar how we paskin. We have to see if we paskin like the other Rishonim. Others point out that Rashi can't possibly have intended to describe leaping legs next to the neck in front of the walking legs because Rashi also wrote a Sefer on Chumash. And in a Sefer on Chumash, Rashi writes, Ve'eshmen harbe ka'osen shakorin lushta, that there are many of them, these locusts, like the ones that are called lushta. Now, uh, the old French name uh, is, a, is a general term for grasshoppers, which Rashi was clearly describing, regular grasshoppers that we have that do not have the legs close to the neck. And also he says that many of these creatures were found in his time, in his location. Every single one of the hundreds of species of locusts and grasshoppers that science has known about has its leaping legs further away. So it's not clear what Rashi meant exactly, but, it, 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 but uh, even if Rashi did mean what he sounds like he means, it's difficult to assume that we paskin like Rashi. So let's go back to the discussion of relying on a tradition. So we don't have an Ashkenazi tradition, but the Yemenites have a uh, tradition. So uh, if you assume that you need a tradition, can we rely on Yemenite tradition? So here's the core of the issue, Lahalacha. The conventional view is that, uh, that, that, that most people have, been, you know, the reason you haven't eaten a locust is because probably you've been working with the assumption that we cannot rely on somebody else's uh, tradition. And in fact, the Taz writes this explicitly in Shulchan Aruch, the Taz assumes you need a tradition and that we cannot rely on other people's traditions. He says, V'achshav noagin, shelo lechol shum chagav, even if you know that it's called a Chagav, do not eat it. 
we are not Bikiyan in, 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 in its name, so therefore we don't know that it's really Shemot Chagav, and we cannot rely on anyone else's tradition. However, the Shach in Simon Pei Sivkat and Beis says very clearly, V'hatsayud Neman K'malel Simon Pei Beis Gabayot, that if you want to know if it's Shmo Chagav, ask the guy who caught it, what is this called? And if he says it's called a Chagav, you're allowed to trust him, that's good enough. You don't need anything more than that. Prima Gadim explains in Mishpah that As long as the guy who uh, was providing it has studied this a little bit and he tells you, yeah, this is called a Chagav. Says Primagadim that the Shach holds either the Tzayyad has to tell you that it's called a Chagav or the Tzayyad has his Misora from his forefathers that it's called a Chagav. So, very clearly, there's a Machlokas Taz and Shach over here. The Taz says you're not allowed to eat it because uh, there's, uh, there, no one is a Bucky anymore in what's called what. And the Shach says you are allowed to eat it provided that there's somebody that's telling you that they have a Misora that, that it's called. A, uh, a, a chagav. Now, uh, in in halacha lemaisa, um, the, uh, the Rabbi Slifkin said that people would ask Rabbi Chaim Pinchas Scheinberg um, privately, and he would say that they can follow the Yemenite tradition. Obviously, others do not. I, I saw in Yalkut Yosef in Yerdeya, he says that yes, the Temanim have a Mesora and ain't mochen biadam. You shouldn't uh, you shouldn't uh, yell at them for following their Mesora. He says Many of the Temanim, even after they came to Eretz Yisrael, continue to be mekel. Don't criticize them. Aval kihilo she'ain etzlam mesores a minig lechol chagavim ain lismochal esimanim gam k'sheyadu ashishmol chagav. Says Rabbi Yitzchak Yosef, the current Sephardic chief rabbi, if your kihila, whether it be because you're Syrian or because you're Iraqi or because whatever uh, brand of Sephardi you are, but if you're not a Temani, Moroccans also have a tradition, but if you're not among those who have a tradition, do not rely on other people's traditions. Where does he get that from? They now let it rely on other people's traditions. So he <laughs> writes that because the Shulchan Aruch says in Simon Pei Beis, Simon Pei Beis is a Simon about birds. He writes, Im Shar Mekomos, She'ein la Mesoros, Yecholim La'ochlan, Al Smach, Makom She'esh la Mesoros, Yesh Misha Oser, V'yesh Misha Matir, V'yesh Lachosh L'divriya Oser. When it comes to birds, says, what if I don't have a tradition, but somebody else has a tradition about this bird? Yesh misha oser, yesh misha matir, and we should be choshesh ledivrei ha-oser. And therefore, says Rabbi Yitzchak Yosef, I don't see why grasshoppers should be any different than birds in this regard. So if we're going to be machmir, uh, not to follow someone else's tradition about a bird, we should be machmir, not to follow someone else's tradition about a grasshopper. Is that true, though? Are birds and grasshoppers the same? So let's, let's backtrack a little bit. What about turkey, right? What about birds? Uh, so when uh, I asked someone in NCSY Kol to go ask Roshachter for some Perush Rashi over here, you know, for some uh, more detail, so uh, Roshachter said, the Svartim have a tradition, and it says in Shulchan Aruch that you can rely on their tradition. So, uh, so the guy said, yeah, it says in Shulchan Aruch. He says, yeah, yeah, the Shach says you can rely on their tradition. It says in Shulchan Aruch. So Roshachter, of course, was re- referring to 
this shach that we spoke about before, which is against the Taz, but it's explained by the Prima Gadim that the shach very clearly holds that you're allowed to rely on someone else's tradition. When it comes to Turkey, Turkey is a different story. The Torah identifies 24 birds as not being kosher. Every other bird is kosher, but we can't easily identify all of the other birds. However, there are simanim also listed in Chulun Dafnun Tes. And the most important one is that a doe race is not kosher. A predatory bird is not kosher. And there are other simanim of crop that the inner layer of the gizzard can be peeled. There are simanim of kashras. They are not a siba, they're a simon. The only absolute simon is that a doe race is not kosher. <coughs> so the Gemara Chulun Daf Samach says that a town was once eating a certain bird and it turned out not to be kosher, and therefore the Raman, Simon Pebe, Siv Gimel, is unequivocal about this. The Raman writes, Don't rely on any Simanim when it comes to a bird. Do not eat any bird unless you have a Mesorah, that it is a kosher bird. That's the Minag, and you cannot change the Minag. So the Ramah by birds is much more strong that you need a Mesorah, probably because of that Maisa Shahaya in the Gemara, where there was some confusion relating to a bird. In fact, the Aruch HaShulchan writes in Simon Pei Beis, Chalil Lishanos from the Minag. We, we better not eat any bird that has a different, that does not have a, a Mesorah. That's different than locusts, where the Shulchan Aruch says, you can either have a Mesorah, or just know that it's called a Chadach, and the Shach says that uh, that you could uh, rely on someone telling you that they have a Mesorah. So even in it's a machlokas whether you need a Mesorah. The Ramad does not make a big deal about it in Simon Pei Hei by Chagavim, that you need a Mesorah. And the Shach says, even if you do need a Mesorah, if someone has a Mesorah, that's good enough. In order to have a Mesorah on a bird, the person who tells you about the bird needs to be a Chacham and a Baki. The question is whether anybody fits that description. The Prima Gaudin discusses the possibility that maybe nobody fits that description. So many posts can say that a, a written Mesorah is insufficient when it comes to birds because names change, right? Words change over time. Also, the Gemara Brachos of Zion uh, says that a kosher and non-kosher animal cannot uh, interbreed. And the Avni Nezer assumes that that's true of birds as well. So if you find a bird that interbreeds with a kosher bird, then it would prove that it's kosher. Avnezer also says that if a bird's eggs look the same as a kosher bird, then it's kosher also. Um, meaning that then it's a similar enough species that it's kosher. So what about turkey? So just a little history. Turkey is a Tarnagol Hodu, but it's not really from India. It's just that when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, he thought he had reached India, so, and, he saw, and he saw turkeys. Uh, so they called it, uh, you know, they, 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 people think uh, it's, uh, it's from India. It's not, it's from America. Uh, there, there were no Jewish Native Americans, obviously. I don't know if it's obvious, but there are no Jewish Native Americans. So it's very hard to have a Mesorah on a turkey if it was only in North America and there was no Jewish here. So where's the Mesorah for a turkey? And the turkey eggs look nothing like kosher birds' eggs, and they can't interbreed with other kosher birds. So we're really stuck when it comes to a turkey. So there, why is it that so many of us eat turkey? So there's Svaris, Lahakel, the Natsiv says, well, if Jews have been eating something for many years, that replaces the need for a Mesorah. Uh, maybe, maybe we started eating it before the Ramah. Columbus sailed the ocean blue, 1492, right? And, uh, and, and maybe the Ramaz Chumrah only took hold after that, but by that time we already had a Mesorah because we started eating it. That's a little bit difficult because as Rav Shechter often points out, it's not that Ashkenazim follow the Ramah, it's that the Ramah follows Ashkenaz. 
Meaning, uh, it's not that uh, we have this loyalty to the Ramah, it's that the Ramah, what the Ramah writes is a reflection of what had always been Minag Ashkenaz. And that's why we follow the Ramah, because we follow Minhag Ashkenaz. This goes way, way back before the Ramah. So it's hard to accept the idea that because Jews were eating turkey before the Ramah, that, that necessarily means that the Ramah was... Uh, you know, that the, that the Ramah was not accepted uh, as far as Turkey is concerned. It could also be that we don't pass on like Ramah because you see that Jews eat Turkey, hard to imagine. Uh, the Aruga Sabosim says that you only need a Masora to prove that it's not a dough race. So if we see that it's not a dough race, then you don't need a Masora anymore. That the Ramah says you need a Masora to see that it's not a dough race. So just look at a turkey, raise turkeys for a year or two, and you'll see that they're never a dough race. Good, then you don't need a Masora anymore. Also a big Kiddush against the Pashas of the Ramah. Others suggest that you can rely on the Jews of India who have a Masora back to Moshe Rabbeinu. Difficult to understand because the Jews of India don't have a Masora back to Moshe Rabbeinu and it's not from India and it's, uh, it's unclear what that even means. So the Svarim that wrote that seemed to have been uh, ill-informed. Uh, the Dvar Halacha says he only needs a Masora if it's a brand new category and Turkey's just a big chicken. That's also difficult to understand because it's not just a big chicken. Maybe it looks very, very different than a chicken. Its eggs look nothing like a chicken egg. So all of these leniencies are very, very strange. But Gedolei Yisrael ate turkey, many Gedolei Yisrael ate turkey. But Moshe and all of his truths about whether you're allowed to observe Thanksgiving never once said, and anyway, you're not allowed to eat turkey, right? In all those shuvas, he never once said, anyway, you're not allowed to eat turkey. Nef Sharav, Rav Shachter writes of Salvechik, used to go home for Thanksgiving and have a turkey dinner. And he said, we learned from there the fact that he ended cheer early on Thanksgiving to go back home, that he must have held that turkey is kosher. Uh, the Gedolim that don't eat turkey? I don't know that many of them. Rabbi Yaakov Kabinetsky didn't eat turkey, so his... Uh, his descendants don't either, unless female descendants that marry into other families, then they follow those menagim. But uh, his descendants don't either. So Mordechai Kamenetsky was here the other day, has never tasted turkey in his life. Um, uh, Rav Shechter doesn't eat turkey, because you don't have a Masora over there. So Allah um, not surprisingly, Rav Shechter holds that it's obvious that it's mutter. It's, uh, it, he holds that you do need a Masora against the Pashas of the Shulchan Aruch. But that the Shach says that you can rely on anyone who tells you that they have a Masora. So that's good enough to, uh, to, to have a Masora. Not surprisingly, I asked um, Rav Willig's children uh, what Rav Willig had to say. And they said, obviously, he would never eat it. Rav Willig is a much more conservative, uh, traditional uh, posik. And uh, it's not something that he, would, uh, that he would ever do. I didn't get much more explanation than that. Other than, you know, it's something that we haven't seen people doing this. Um, Rabbi Jack, there in a voice note that, uh, that I asked for yesterday, that someone uh, sent me yesterday, suggested that this is Rav Shechtel Lishitaso about soft matzah. And presumably, assuming Rav Asher Weiss doesn't eat locusts, presumably Rav Asher Weiss Lishitaso, that you don't eat soft matzah because it's against the Masora. I don't think the two are related. Um, there, there's no need for a Masora on matzah. There's, there's no din of Masora when it comes to matzah. You just... We know what, 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 what wheat is, we know what flour is, we know what water is, and we know what chametz is. So you just have to make sure the flour and the water that it doesn't become uh, chametz. You just have to make it in such a way that it doesn't pull. and that it does. So there are details, but there's no mesorah necessary. Ravasha understands soft matzah shouldn't be eaten because he thinks that there's a minute to be machmir to have very, very thin matzah. And that's a minute that Ashkenazim have accepted for many, many years. So if you're a chola and you have no other option and you can't even eat a small amount of hard matzah, so you eat matzah neder and you'll eat soft matzah. But for regular people, for regular Ashkenazim, we assume that you keep that chumrah al titosh tores mecha. Whereas Roshachta says there's no such minhag. It's like saying that there's a minhag that, uh, you know, if your shul has had a red parochas, for all the years, it's a minute that we only have red parochas and not a blue parochas on the Aron. No, 
Yeah, it just happens to be what we did. We happen to make matzah very, uh, but it's got nothing to do with Masorah, meaning the issue of birds and the issue of, of locusts, this is a Masorah related issue. So uh, long, it happens to be, by the way, that the, the, the uh, locust that Shechter ate was a migratory locust, which is a little bit different than the locust, meaning zoo, zoologically, it's a little bit different than the locust that the Temanim have a Masorah on. Uh, but it, halachically, it's the same because it looks exactly the same. So, uh, so halachically, it's prob- probably the uh, the same. Rabbi Silfkin explains why he uses migratory locusts that are more available or whatever, and why he assumes that it's okay. So, long story short, um, whereas by a bird, it's pasul that you need a misora because the Ramas says so explicitly, and he says in the about that, and uh, that's why Rav Shachter's machmer not to eat turkey because he holds that there is no misora, and the truth is. It's a very compelling argument. I mean, obviously, you know, the practice seems to be that people do, but it's a very compelling argument. Uh, when it comes to a locust, it's not only does the Mechaber indicate that you probably don't need a Mesora, that all you need is Shmo Chagav, but even if you do need a Mesora, it's a Machlokas between the Shach and the Taz, whether you can rely on somebody else's Mesora. Taz says no, Shach says yes. In general, whenever you have Machlokas, Shach and Taz, we're always noted to Paskin, like the Shach against the Taz, and therefore it makes a lot of sense that if you have uh, an entire community of Yerei Shemayim that have done something, that you're allowed to rely on their Misora. Well, that was way more. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.